The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It's Anthony Casenza with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I hope you are, for many of you, you've had probably an easy week in terms of work, uh, given that Thanksgiving is coming up. So I hope you've enjoyed, if you've had time off, I hope I hope you've enjoyed that time off. I'm joined by John Sheeran, who has also had some time off, at least from school and whatnot. I, I haven't had the luxury, John, but uh, I hope you've enjoyed your time off. How are you doing, sir? Well, I hope our listeners have an easy week work because it's it's never easy covering the Bengals when they play like the Bengals usually do. So it's been it's been it's been a rough week from that sense, but we're here. I drove up from UC to my home just just north of Cincinnati. Almost ran over a possum actually on the way up uh, on the way up from here. I mean, it's it's dark out here, man. Like it's dark at six o'clock. And next thing you know, there's there's, there's like cat-sized rats running in the streets. I have to swear out of the way. So I'm here. I'm alive, and I hope you guys are happy because of it. Yeah. Oh, hashtag Ohio problems, right? Yeah. Very. Uh, <laughs> um, well, it's good. To, uh, thank you for being here, John. And I mean that because I know this is a, a week that, um, you know, we, we could have taken the week off and we could have done that. And I, I, I mean, I would have done it by myself. It wouldn't have been nearly as high quality of a show if it was just me without you. So I appreciate you making the time uh, during kind of a holiday week to, to be here. We appreciate the listeners doing the same. And uh, even though we may not have as many live lists. Maybe we will. I don't know. But it, we may not have as many live listeners as we usually do. But, um, hopefully you still get this. Maybe on your – you download it and on your trek to your Thanksgiving destination or what have you, uh, you could you could pop in, pop into the show and uh, treat your family to a lovely Bengals episode of the podcast. You got you to gotta like that. Uh, we've got a, a lot on tap tonight, even though – We've kind of struggled a little bit cre- creatively this week to come up with stuff because, unfortunately, the Bengals just kind of keep making the same mistakes. And there's a lot of different, uh, you know, we, we could take those mistakes and go some different routes. But we're going to touch on some of that. We'll touch on the Ravens game. We'll touch on some news and notes. And we'll be joined shortly by Joshua Finney of SB Nation's Dogs by Nature to um, preview the the Browns game we're hoping he's going to join us shortly to to get that started um and you can get 
the, the coverage, aside from being on cincyjungle.com, you can get all kinds of coverage from the other side of the fence at Dogs by Nature. Um, Joshua Finney, I believe, uh, does the podcast over there, so you can check them out. I, I What's kind of interesting about this one, John, coming up here, the Bengals and the Browns, they're, they're two teams that kind of are going in a little bit of opposite directions. And usually, usually – it's kind of, yay, the Bengals are back on the rise a little bit. They're feeling pretty good about where they're at by the time they face the Browns. Um, maybe they even use it as a rebound game uh, if they had been sliding a little bit. But the Browns are coming off a decent win against the Falcons. The Bengals are backsliding. They're 1-4 and four now over their past five games. Um, kind of an interesting situation and maybe a little bit unfamiliar territory from, from Bengals fans and from the Bengals side of things, right? Yeah, for sure. And and j- just in the Hugh Jackson era for the Browns specifically, the Bengals never had any trouble with them, even though, you know, in the years past and previously in the Marvin Lewis era, the Browns always played the Bengals tough. Hugh Jackson comes there. You know, it's kind of like a game that Bengals fans gloss over. Hugh Jackson leaves. The Browns are one and one and their offense is looking a lot better than they usually did. So, yeah, like Bengals fans should be very worried about this, about this game and this with this Browns team under Greg Williams, who, I don't think we all believe is a very good head coach, but I think the, the the culture shift from Hugh Jackson to Greg Williams seems to have re- rejuvenated at, at least their core players, and we'll talk a lot a lot more about that once Josh comes onto the show. But it, 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 it's definitely not going to be a cakewalk, even if it is the Browns and they still carry that stigma of being you know in the bottom of, of the league in ter- from compared to everyone else. But what Bengals fans have to realize is that the Bengals are kind of in the bottom of the league themselves, so. It, it has to be a really big humil- humility check for all Bengals fans and specifically for the Bengals themselves. Yeah, I mean, even the record, even though the record says 5-5, five and five, you're right there. And the team that, that you lost to and the team that currently now has the sixth seed, the grasp on the sixth seed in the playoff picture in the AFC is 5-5. Five and five. Um, definitely a beatable team, uh, even though Cincinnati lost to them. Uh, they, you know... The way that the Bengals are playing, the effort that they're showing or lack thereof, it, they are playing like they have two wins. They are playing like they, you know, like a, a, a Browns team from years past that has not played very well, um, that has, you know, struggled to win games. And you look at it now, John, and you kind of go, how did this team win five games? I mean, I, I get how the season went on, or as the season has gone on. There's been a lot of injuries. There's been a lot of issues on that front. Um, I get that. But every team experiences that. Maybe not to the same extent the Bengals have experienced it this year. But, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it, and I, I looked at the offense for the, the Ravens this week. and I've, I kind of said it jokingly, but I'm serious. This is like a an offense you see on Friday nights in the fall. Uh, I mean, it's, it's read option. The passing is incredibly careful. Uh, I don't know that the that the ball traveled 15 yards in the air out of Lamar Jackson's hand. He might some passes netted more yards than that, but I don't think he threw it in the air past 15 yards. Undrafted rookie free agent running back gets 100 yards on him. Lamar Jackson. I mean, these are these are the things that point to a bad team or a bad season yet the Bengals are five and five. So you go, I, I don't get this team. Right. And a lot of the Bengals issues can be like, just looked at upon week to week. And I think 
because we, when we talked about, you know, how they were going to do by the end of the season, like the season previews, um, health was obviously a big factor that we talked about specifically with the offense. And you've almost experienced more injuries on the defense side of the ball long term. And talk about Lawson and Brown and Dennard for a little bit. And obviously, Vigil, the best linebacker, hasn't been on the field. So, I, I, like the injury excuse, it gets old even for most teams. But when you have a coach who's been here for 16 years, it's just hard to use the injury excuse to his benefit when, you know, he's had multiple years of dealing with this and still nothing is, he has nothing to show for it. So it, it, you just can't give a coach who's been here for as long as Marvin Lewis the past with injuries because at this point he should be knowing what he's dealing with with his roster. And if he can't get it done by now, then it's like he's never going to get it done. And with the Ravens, you know, we, we, we were kind of optimistic that the defense would get rejuvenated with Lewis leading the way. But as you said, the Ravens didn't do anything special to them, but it's almost like they didn't even practice what they already knew was going to happen, which is just all the more mind-boggling. It's, I guess it's kind of a perfect synopsis of what this team is under Marvin Lewis. Yeah, and there's a lot to dissect uh, with with that game. Unfortunately, the Bengals didn't come out on top. They did uh, make it a close one. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about um, some interesting injury, some more injury news with the Bengals and what's ahead for them. As we go forward, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get this show on iTunes, on YouTube, at CincyJungle.com. We're also on the Google Play app, the Stitcher app, and uh, Art19. So get the program where you can. And I believe now we are uh, joined by our special guest, Joshua Finney from SB Nation's Dogs by Nature. Josh, are you with us? I am. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for making the time. I know you're a busy guy. I told, I told John, I, I kind of opened the show with a, you know, just kind of saying thanks. I know this is a, a hectic week for a lot. Of, I mean, it's a, it's a relaxing week and a lot of people take time off, but it also in this area that we do, it can be a hectic week. So I appreciate you making the time. I know you're a busy guy with a podcast yourself and, and doing stuff on the website real quickly before we kind of dive into stuff. If you wouldn't mind just kind of giving us a little brief intro on yourself, how you got involved with Dogs by Nature, what you do over there, and how people can follow you on social media. Yeah, I'd love that. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, I've been a contributor to Dogs by Nature in in greater or lesser estate uh, for about seven or eight years. Um, I find that a combination of real-life grad school and children keeps me uh, from writing (laughs) as much as I'd like these days, but it is a... it's not as hard to find time to do an hour to two weeks, uh, an hour to two each week of podcasting where I get to grab a beer, talk football with my uh, closest friends. Um, so you can find us doing that over at the This Believe Land is Your Land podcast, which is part of the Dogs by Nature podcast through SB Nation. Um, we're actually trying to find time to record tonight to get our uh, pre, uh, pre-game time show up, and we're struggling to find the time to meet it. So uh, I appreciate getting it out of the way early uh, and having the opportunity to meet with to you guys. You can, uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Josh Finn and the other two uh, podcast hosts, uh, Hawaii Mike Hui and uh, John Calismo, John Cos- Jay Cosmo. Um, good guys, good sources for Browns information, and also um, not lacking in uh, a sense of humor about where we've been for the last 15 years <laughs> and where we're going. Well, if there's if there's one fan base and one franchise that can commiserate with at least some of the struggles, maybe maybe not to the certain extent of late, but uh, <laughs> if there's if the, if there's a lot of correlations, it is it is the Cincinnati Bengals, and uh, we appreciate you making the time again. We're, we'll try not to keep you too long, so you can get to your own show if you're going to do that tonight. Uh, I, I guess the easiest place to start off with, I mean, there's there's a couple of of good uh, spots to talk about here, but with the Browns, they made the kind of the early quarterback change 
to Baker Mayfield, the number one overall pick. Um, I've got kind of a two-pronged question because I I haven't uh, really talked to many Browns fans about that. Were you surprised that Baker Mayfield was the pick and maybe not Sam Darnold, especially with Hugh Jackson, former USC coach, on at, you know, kind of making the selection there? And what's been the difference in terms of production, in terms of team morale, whatever you've seen since Baker has taken over uh, as the starter? So I'll start off by answering your first question. I am, I was enormously surprised, um, not because I didn't uh, value Baker's talent coming out, but because it, I felt like it was a more risky pick. I felt like the easy layup uh, in that situation was Sam Darnold. And that was what all of the pundits and all of the rumors were pointing towards is that that was going to be a marriage. This is a kid who had all of the physical skills, who had the pedigree, who was coming from Southern California, like you said. Everyone kind of expected Sam Darnold to be that guy. Uh, and so when they pulled the trigger on Baker up front, um, I think that um, there was kind of a, a collective intake of breath there that, that he was that guy. Um, that said, um, if you believe that analytics is still a thing that's alive and well in Cleveland, if you think that people uh, are paying tribute to uh, some, some, some of the word advanced metrics, um, then, it's, then it's clear why they went down that road. Um, and it, it was very clear to us uh, throughout training camp and through the preseason why they made that pick. Um, most of the off-field kind of shenanigans, nonsense things that you heard about Baker were very quickly uh, diffused and were, were found to be kind of false narratives. And he showed um, the talent that we saw at Oklahoma. And he, he didn't have the, the hard time translating uh, coming from Lincoln Riley's system into the, the NFL system that we all kind of expected. So he looked good from the outset. The team clearly, even when he was the backup quarterback coming into the season, loved him and, and loved, uh, looked forward to the time when he was going to play. It was always a question of when, not if. Uh, and I think that we probably got to that day a little quicker than we expected because of Tyrod Taylor's injury in, uh, when we, I believe it was week four against the Jets. Um, they definitely wanted to keep him stapled to the bench as long as they could, but once he came in, there was no putting that monkey back in the bottle. They were they were committed to it, and it was pretty easy to see why. As a Bengals fan, um, I was extremely jealous when you guys drafted Baker because, like, you're right, the analytics do mean something, and he was the best quarterback on paper when you talk about meaningful production. Talk about – and I'm also jealous that you guys actually got rid of Hugh Jackson instead of hired him onto your staff. But just uh, talk about – just talk – yeah, yeah, just let it all out. <laughs> just maybe, maybe talk about not only um, Jackson's departure and the impact and the impact on not only Baker, but Nick Chubb, but also the, the departure of Todd Haley and uh, Freddie Kitchens kind of moving into a, a role that he's never really been on. How, how has his play calling really positively or negatively, well, obviously positively affected um, Nick Chubb and Baker Mayfield's play? So um, we all kind of assumed going into the season that Hugh Jackson was going to be on at some point. Um, it's been a pretty awful uh, tenure here. And that's that says something when it's coming from Browns Nation, who, have ha who has had to endure – all manner of terrible coaches that Hugh Jackson was the guy that, that we just um, we'd, we'd had our fill of and we were over. And I know he had some great years uh, as an offensive coordinator, and I think as a, a quarterback coach before that with the Bengals. Um, so uh, we were as surprised as anybody that it went as poorly as it did, but it did. And we are very, very pleased that, that we got to move on from it. The big surprise during that whole uh, turnover was that Todd Haley was not the coach in waiting. Um, if you watched Hard Knocks, if you heard the rumors in camp, like he was the guy that was kind of standing up to Hugh Jackson that was saying, like, this isn't how we practice. This isn't how we scheme. What are we doing out here? Um, and he was the he was the person who had the recent experience that would say, hey, this is this is a guy that we need to listen to. Um, I think that in that moment, uh, the Browns front office just said, I can't pull out and suss out 
what the problem here is. So we're just going to go scorched earth and we're going to get rid of all of the factors that are in play. Um, the drop off, or the, I, I don't want to use the word drop off because that's clearly the wrong word. The transition from Haley to Kitchens running the offense has been absolutely as stark as you can possibly imagine. And a lot of that is that you're seeing a baseline of coaching competency out of, out of uh, Freddie Kitchens for the first two weeks that nobody really expected to see. Um, there's no rocket science. There's no crazy, imaginative, innovative play calling that's coming out of there. He's just utilizing the, play, the players that he has in-house and the same playbook and just running things that make a little bit more sense. He's not trying to force the ball you know, 12, 15 times a, di- a game to Jarvis Landry. He's, he's running the ball with authority out of sets that the Browns are capable of running from. And he's just playing to the team's strengths that he has. So, so the transition hasn't been as uncomfortable as most Browns expected. And it definitely hasn't been as uncomfortable as I expected because the team really rallied to the cause. And now they are running offensive sets that play to the strengths of their personnel rather than uh, all kinds of, you know, downfield, Eric Coriel, long developing nonsense that we were running for the last two and a half years. Speaking of the, the coaching I don't know, issues, coaching future, all of that. They made the move now, move away from Jackson. Todd Haley's out of the building, like you said. Mm-hmm. What do you – either what do you think or what is the the fan preference in terms of the direction the Browns should and will go next year with their next head coach? Is it going to be a veteran guy that's that's been out there for a while? Is it going to be maybe a, a, a hot assistant coach name that's out there and they hope they land a Sean McVay type of guy? Or are they going to scour the, the college ranks uh, and maybe try and get one of the top coaches in the college ranks to come and, and uh, help them out? So, so all signs that point to a guy who's a football lifer like John Dorsey selecting a guy that he can trust, that it's – has at least sniffed the position before, has some experience running an NFL team. Um, that said, all of the signs prior to the draft pointed him drafting the kind of quarterback that would line up with the prototypical quarterback capability and measurements. So um, I know that's kind of a cop-out answer. I would have expected going into the season to see a retread type of figure, see a, um, uh, see a Ron Rivera if he gets cut loose, see a, a, a Schwartz out of Philadelphia – um, see a Bruce Arians type, um, somebody that's been around the NFL a little bit and has the experience um, based on what we knew of Dorsey coming in. But all of the decisions he's made so far kind of line up a little bit better with what a modern NFL franchise looks like. And they know going into this offseason that the priority will be to marry Baker Mayfield to an innovative play caller, somebody who can utilize that college spread offensive concept and create an offense that looks something similar to what we saw on Monday night when the Rams and Chiefs put on like one of the greatest Monday night performances I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I think that's what they're looking for, and that's what they know they'll, they'll need to have in this NFL era. And they already know that they have a capable defense in-house. So it's really, I, I think they're really going to prioritize somebody who comes from a strong offensive background. This will be a great podcast for everyone to listen to three months from now when I improve and be a complete idiot. And they <laughs> hire a defensive-minded, retread type of coach. But uh, the rumors that are coming out of Berea right now suggest that guys like John, DeFil- uh, John DeFilippo in, in Minnesota, uh, Lincoln Riley, um, Eric uh, Bienemy in, in Kansas City. These are the type of players that these are the type of coaches that they're looking for, and that they'll continue to kind of scour the ranks for. Yeah, Bienemy is a guy that Bengals fans are familiar with because he uh, he played in Cincinnati for for a little bit um, mm-hmm. after after being with the Chargers. Continuing on, I mean, it, it looks like now that the Browns will be on a mission to find their next head coach that'll hopefully lead them. They seem to have their at least for now the quarterback of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And now they almost seem to have a running back of the future in Nick Chubb. Uh, I did some calculations kind of in researching the game a little bit. I think he's got close to 540 yards, 6.2 yards per carry, and five touchdowns over the last seven games. Mm -hmm. Um, One game, I think he had three carries for like 100-plus yards or something. (laughs) Um, So talk about his kind of exploding on the scene. He had a great game last week against against the Falcons. And, um, you know, is this kind of, uh, you know – beginner's luck or is this something i mean obviously he was a great college player or is this mm-hmm. something that they you know this is this is now what they're spearheading they got the quarterback they got the running back let's find the coach and go forward yeah that's a great question and and i love talking about uh nick chubb because he's he's the kind of guy that you love having on your team great great story great player really well beloved in the in the clubhouse um that that three carries for 100 yard game we got to put a little asterisk on it because that was uh, the Oakland Raiders who, who kind of have a tendency to do that every week. Um, but it was very clear in those uh, early games of the season when Carlos Hyde was the featured rusher that he was the more talented back. Um, the numbers were great. The yards after content, the, uh, the, the elusiveness were all the kind of things that you draft a guy based on. What we did not expect and what I don't think even the Browns expected coming into the draft was that they were going to get the guy that they saw in the early years uh, at Georgia with Nick Chubb. You're, you're seeing the explosiveness and the burst that he had before that kind of gruesome uh, MCL, LCL injury that, that really slowed him down there for a year. Um, he's, a, he's kind of a throwback running back in that he's more similar to a Jamal Lewis than a Saquon Barkley. He's a, he's a well-balanced, uh, you know, powerful, heavy-hitting running back. Um, and when you combine that with his lateral mobility, he was one of the highest testing uh, running backs in the draft coming out in terms of agility and change of pace. Um, if he has that, that kind of top-end speed that we saw against Atlanta, then he's an incredibly dangerous running back. And, and they've got uh, some guys on the interior offensive line in Cleveland that I know you guys are very familiar with in, uh, in Kevin Zeitler and, and Joel Batonio. Um, so, so when they've married up a back that really runs well between the tackles with um, – with the kind of interior guard play and, and center play that they've had, it's been really effective and it's been really fun to watch. And they're no longer running dopey ass outside zone schemes that, that really don't play to any of the running backs uh, strengths. And, and to, to give a, a little shout out to, to the other guy uh, in the running back uh, room, Duke Johnson, they don't lose anything when they take him off the field. Um, both guys can catch, both guys can run uh, and both guys have great vision. So I think that, um, of all of the position groups on the Browns running back is the position that's probably pointing upward the most. So I'm just looking at the remainder of your guys' schedule. You have us twice at the Texans at the Broncos at the Ravens, and you have a home game with the Panthers in between. I see just from a Bengals man's perspective, that's that's very much like at least two or three wins there. That's very possible for the team that you guys have right now. What are your, expectations i guess for how you would want this season to end you guys would you prefer that you guys rack up as many wins as possible and give the possibility that greg williams has a chance to become the long-term head coach or does their record for the rest of the season not really matter to you you just want to see just constant improvement from their younger guys it's actually a really good question you're you're kind of touching on the cleveland fan zeitgeist a little bit there's a lot of love for how the browns have looked the last two weeks even though they lost to kansas city um, what you saw in the immediate short term of the coaching aftermath was uh, the team was a lot more, like you weren't seeing all the stupid penalties. You weren't seeing all the mental mistakes. You saw a team that looked like it belonged on the field with two playoff contenders. Um, and so what Browns fans have done is they've immediately latched onto that and said, okay, we can build off of this. Let's just keep these guys in house. 
uh, bring in somebody that can run the team like a Dave Taub uh, head coaching figure that will agree to keep these kind of guys in place. Um, I think that personally that's kind of a mistake. And I don't think that the amount of wins that they get in the next six games should influence that. Um, I think there's something to be said for YOLO coaching when you know, hey, we're, uh, we're, we're, we have nothing to lose here. We're, we're going we're gonna to play a very aggressive style. We're going to go for it on fourth down a lot. If we lose, we lose. Nobody expected us to win anyway, um, and there's no expectations. And you're seeing that with, with, with Williams and Kitchens. Um, I think that that back six uh, games is kind of deceiving for the Browns because you're seeing a lot of good defenses in that stretch. You do have the Bengals twice, who are, at least on paper, a very good defense. They've struggled over the last couple of weeks, but they, are, they still have a lot of talent, especially along the defensive line. Uh, Carolina is obviously no joke uh, defensively. And um, Carolina, Denver, and Baltimore uh, are still top 10 DVOA defenses. So uh, I think that those are going to be really hard-fought games regardless. I don't expect the Browns to win more than two or three games. And it's been three games since they've won a game on the road. So I don't think that there's any danger of them winning out and challenging anybody for a playoff uh, berth this year. But um, what I think Browns fans want to see more than anything is they just want to see continuing competency. They want to see the team doing the right things you know, making mistakes because they're young or because they're working in a lot of new players is one thing. Uh, making the same mistakes week in, week out um, and not getting better from it is a different thing. So uh, more than wins and losses, I think this team, I think that fans would like to see this continue, this team continue to compete the way it has and look like a competent run organization that can build off the talent they have. And they really want to see guys that have been brought in in the last year or two, um, not just the Baker Mayfields and the Nick Chubbs, but also the Terrence Mitchells, the Demarius Randalls, all these extra young kids, they want to see these guys show out so they know what the emphasis next year is going to be as far as bringing in talent to make this team better. Talking with Joshua Finney of Dogs by Nature and the This Believe Land is Your Land podcast. Did I get that right? <laughs> right? Yeah, you, get that, you got that right. I mean, I just screwed up every other week, so I appreciate uh, you getting right in the first try. Yeah, all right. Hey, we've had a couple of guests with some awesome uh, podcast names, yours included. That's, that's, that's a creative one. I like it. Um, before we get you out of here, we 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 got to hear what you think the results going to be on uh, on Sunday. The, obviously, this is the first of two games. Still, uh, th- this is usually usually these teams face off way earlier than this for the first, sure. first time, but um, so a little different this year. But obviously, the Hugh Jackson factor may or may not play into the Bengals' corner. Um, it's in it's in Cincinnati. Uh, a lot of factors here. Cincinnati's on a skid. Cleveland's kind of on the uptick a little bit after the win. So what do you think? So there's a lot of factors here. Um, And I'll start out by saying that anytime Browns fans feel really good about the team's chances, anytime they go into a game feeling really confident, those are the games that end magnificently badly. So you have that going (laughs) for you. Browns fans feel great about this. So normally in that situation, I'd expect a a, a solid drubbing. Um, I think that playing on the road is a big factor here that probably is, is, is understated. The Browns have not played well on the road. They've not won a game on the road in a couple of years. Um, and having Hugh Jackson basically delivering the playbook on a platter uh, for this game does have an influence on it. Uh, that being said, um, we're also seeing A.J. Green come back uh, in whatever facility he's able to play this weekend, which is going to be a big, uh, a big get. And I think that it's really going to come down to who can execute better on offense. I think that, um, I think that this is really going to come down to who, who makes that critical turnover uh, you know, down the stretch, I think it's going to be a close game. And I think that whoever makes the most Ohio-ish turnover at the end of the game is really going to determine who ends up winning it. Uh, the last couple of weeks, unfortunately, that's been Cincinnati. 
I think that's really anybody's guess this week. Um, I don't want to make a prediction that I expect Cleveland to win, but it feels like a good game going into it. Yeah. I, I mean, I predict it's probably going to be pretty close regardless. Yeah. Um, I think Cleveland's improving and I think Cincinnati's lost some guys that, yeah, they get AJ Green back, but uh, we'll see. Josh, thanks for the time. Enjoy the week. Enjoy the holiday. Uh, I, I appreciate you making time this week for the show. And hopefully, maybe on the rematch, we can have you back on if you're available. I love that. This was really enjoyable. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, have a good, happy Thanksgiving, man. Talk to you guys soon. All right. That was Joshua Finney with Dogs by Nature. And this Believe Land is Your Land podcast. That that one and the, and the Buck What You Heard. Buck What You Heard. Yeah. Yeah, those Look are... what you heard kind of flows a little bit more, but I still like the creativity from that <laughs> yeah, one. I like I like both of those. Uh, appreciate his time and uh, coming on here talking about the Browns, and they got to be feeling pretty good about themselves. We talked about it at the onset of the show. They got to be feel feeling pretty good. I mean, realistically, I think they know that they're this is probably going to be a five to six win team this year. But uh, you know, if they show improvement and they see things out of Mayfield that makes them believe that they finally have their quarterback. Um, after God, what thirty plus guys they've trotted out there for starts since since they came back in '99? Crazy. That one dude can finally finish his jersey with like the last name on. Like, yeah, the there you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We just had Joshua Finney on from the SB Nation Network and uh, the Dogs by Nature website and their podcast. There, appreciate him coming on. You can get this show. On iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, CincyJungle.com, and Art19. So get the show where you can. We appreciate the live listeners tuning in on this pre-Thanksgiving show. We will be taking some listener questions at the end. I've already seen a couple in the live YouTube chat. So leave them there. Leave them in the Cincy Jungle comment thread. Or you can text or call us. We'll be taking calls later. But you can text us on the, uh, the Orange and Black Insider line. 949-542-6241 is the, the number, and uh, we'd love to hear from you if you are so inclined. John, uh, kind of going back to what we started off the program with, the Bengals, obviously they, they fell to a Ravens team that was down their starting quarterback. Cincinnati has had a lot of success against Joe Flacco. They, they were 8-2 and two in the last 10 games going into Sunday, um, including a, a big win and a, a pretty decisive win earlier this year on, on Thursday Night Football that really got the Bengals, Bengals fans feeling pretty good about the team and where, where things were going in 2018. Uh, I didn't listen to our show <laughs> following that, that win, but uh, I would like to – I would like to maybe do that to see what, where our mindsets were. We were. I think we were all feeling pretty good and maybe even singing Ter- Terrell Austin's praises at that point, given the, the amount of turnovers and whatnot. But I, I guess I kind of want to tie what happened on Sunday into a number of different news and notes and, and things kind of going forward. So the Bengals lose a game against a Ravens team. And look, a lot of people pick the Bengals to potentially sweep the Ravens. They've done it. Like I said, they were eight and two going into this Sunday against the Ravens in, in the last 10 contests. So they've done it before, but this is still a, you know, John Harbaugh is a good coach. Uh, They've got defensive talent on that team and going to Baltimore is not an easy atmosphere to go play. So on one hand, you're kind of like, well, you know, they split the series with the Ravens. Maybe that's something that's expected in terms of preseason predictions and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, 
rookie quarterback, like I said, undrafted rookie free agent running back, both get 100 yards on the ground. Very, very, very vanilla and limited passing offense by the Ravens. Um, and the defense just lets you down. Now, Cincinnati didn't have A.J. Green, and we all know A.J. Green is a guy that absolutely destroys the Ravens. So that's a big that's a big minus for the Bengals. But Ravens are down their starting quarterback. Bengals are down their Pro Bowl receiver. So I, I guess where I really want to focus this week, and we focused on it a couple times already this year, is the linebacker position. And, and the reason why I want to do that is not only because of a, a pretty poor play by that group against the read option, all of that stuff. But now Preston Brown, one of their big free agent gets, is on IR this year. So I guess where I'll start with this is do they have enough to scrape together something that is resembling serviceable the rest of the year? Their their best chance. In that that group. In that group. Their best chance is like to just at least try out Jefferson, Malik Jefferson, our third round pick, because he is their best, most explosive athlete at that position. And you just watch that game against Ravens. I mean, you you just said yourself that they ran a quote unquote high school offense. But if if the Bengals can't stop it, there is no reason why they should have done anything else. That's why the 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 the, the Lamar Jackson factor just works so well into the Ravens' um, favor, just because we've seen Joe Flacco lead an offense with the Ravens that has had limited success against the Bengals' defense, regardless of what shape that they're in in, in just in recent years. Then you add the, this factor of speed and explosiveness from their, their quarterback and their running back, and the Bengals' edge defenders and their linebackers just had no answer for it. You have guys like Vincent Ray and Bonses Burfick overflowing at the threat of the run up the middle and then completely losing the edge and Lamar Jackson scampers for 8 to 10 yards. You just have no you just, you just have no athletes or competent athletes at that position because you have Jordan Evans, who, again, is a good athlete, but he's just not there yet. He's not clicking and closing like he should be. And then the guys you, you have playing next to him, Bonses Burfick, He's just not finishing plays like he usually does, and you have to wonder if that's maybe a mental thing at this point. Vincent Ray's still getting a lot of snaps, and he looks like a grandpa out there. And, of course, we've dogged on Hardy Nickerson enough, so we don't really have to mention him in his poor play. But at this point, try out Jefferson. You know, Try to limit what his responsibilities are. You know, Keep him enclosed and maybe in that Mike linebacker spot so he doesn't have to take on a lot of blocks. And just hope that Nick Vigil comes back soon because he is their best linebacker, and he was playing like their best linebacker. But at this point, if you – if you tried out Hardy Nickerson there and play him for all the snaps and entrust him with responsibilities of lining everyone up while he still can't do any assignments that he's tasked to do, like you're just basically giving it up and throwing in the towel and just trying to make something that doesn't work. And it's just not, it's, it's just not the strategy strategy that they should have going forward. And it's really indicative of their approach uh, at the linebacker spot, just in, in the entire Marvin Lewis era. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about the future at the position in just a second, but you brought somebody up that uh, I think is critical, not only to this position, but to the lack of success of the group this year. And that's Montez perfect. And you said, maybe there's some hesitancy there in terms of the, his style of play based on past suspensions and all of that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Uh, He has, for whatever reason, blocked me on Twitter. So I, I haven't been able to see yeah, some of this yeah, stuff. You're not the only one. Yeah. I haven't been blocked, but I, I, you're not the only one. Yeah, I, I, I must have said something that rubbed him the wrong way at some point or typed something that rubbed him the wrong way at some point. So I, I'm in his doghouse. But 
supposedly he kind of said something about, you know, there's been some talk about Marshall Yonda potentially spitting in his face. There, there's some video out there that I have seen and it's, it's, I mean, it, it, there's some evidence there, but I, I don't see the fire. I don't see the effort. I don't see, I mean, I, I specifically remember him meeting the, the free agent running back Gus Edwards, I believe it was in the hole last week could have stopped him for basically a one yard gain completely just missed on the tat while well, he, he got his arms on him, but just let him go. And then the play resulted in like a 12 yard gain first down, very uncharacteristic from a perfect of a couple of years ago. Is this a guy who either a isn't, isn't healthy, isn't fully healthy. B isn't in shape because he missed part of the season. He missed some conditioning stuff in the summer because I think he was out and then missed the first part of the season with the suspension. Is he either getting lazy or be lazy because he got paid or lazy because basically he's just uninspired based on the team's play. Is it a combination of all the factors? Is he just not a guy to be relied upon in this defense anymore? I don't think I would ever call perfect lazy just because of just kind of who he is. And I do believe that he has a work ethic that is admirable, but the whole thing with perfect was that we, we always wanted him to get the message that he was towing the line too much. And we always wanted him to dial it back so he can do the same good things that he's always done, but do it the right way. And it seems like he's just, he's just this kind of player, this, this defensive player, this linebacker that can only play at one speed and if you tone it down a little bit to take away the stuff that will get him fined or suspended, you kind of lose everything else that was good about perfect in the process. So it, it almost looked like, like what the NFL has done to him rightfully so, because he has earned his reputation to a certain extent for all the extra curricular stuff, but it just hasn't, it hasn't been the positive change that we've expected from him because we all always wanted him, or at least me personally, I always wanted him to just change for the better and just kind of progress as a player in that sense. But it just it doesn't seem like at least from the past, you know, the four games that he's played this year, that he just he just can't be the same good linebacker while, you know, not doing any of the stupid stuff that could get him into trouble. And I maybe he is a little bit out of shape because, you know, he's never been the guy with, you know, six pack. He's always been like 255 pounds. But it's just like I I, I think the the Yonda the Yonda thing kind of I don't know. I don't know if I want to say broke him or not, because if you get Keith Hernandez in a, in a real life NFL situation, that's that's a tough that's a tough scenario. You just have to wonder if the the pressure of kind of being something that he just wasn't born to be is kind of getting to him at, at this point. And I, I think it is a legitimate question that the defense should look at a future with him, not a part of it, because if they can't fully function with him and they're paying him a decent amount of money, not guaranteed, but they're still paying him a decent amount of money. I think it just has to be a question that they raise and it's nothing against him personally, but sometimes, you know, you, you just need to flip the next chapter. Yeah. I mean, to use a weird metaphor, uh, it's almost like he, he excels in, in, but frustrates when he plays at 120 miles an hour, potentially reckless driving type of thing, or else if you, if you tone it back, he's almost driving 25 in a school zone type of thing. Right. I yeah. mean, it's, it's like, He's he's one way or the other. There's not right. a middle. There's not a middle ground with him, and uh, it's almost you can, you can kind of say the same thing. There's no middle ground in terms of the amount of playing time, because he's either suspended or hurt, or he's playing half the season. It's 
he's just a frustrating player. He's right. great. He's great. And other times you're just like, ah, I don't, I, I don't get what's going on. And that's that, that to me, that one, even though it was one play, not the Yonda thing, the one play where he missed that tackle. Yeah. He's missed tackles before him. Yeah. He's been behind on passes and all that stuff, even in his best years. But that one play, I was like, that is just not him. It mm-hmm. didn't look like him. It didn't. Yeah. And that's, that really surprised me. Going forward now, looking at the past, looking at what they have, and then moving forward into the future, this this thing, this, this era of Marvin Lewis has inexplicably had so many issues with linebackers that have either underachieved or had flash-in-the-pan seasons and, and didn't give anything long-term. Um, Marvin Lewis was a guy who built the Hall of Fame foundation for Ray Lewis. He made Peter Boulware a great edge rusher, you know, tweener defensive end linebacker that helped them win Pro Bowls, go he or wins a Super Bowl. He went to many Pro Bowls, all of that. Comes to Cincinnati, uh, Odell Thurman, uh, Nate Webster. Uh, I mean, Ray Maluga had his ups and downs. Keith Rivers, a top 10 pick. Uh, then you go more recently, wasted pick P.J. Dawson, who I think a lot of people had high high hopes for. You've got Malik Jefferson wasting away, a guy who's got a lot of athleticism, third-round pick. I, I guess, I mean, if Lewis is going to stick around after this season, do you trust him? Should, should the Bengals invest heavily and and a lot of these picks in linebackers, and do you trust Lewis to make the right decisions there? Personally, in just my very amateur defensive philosophy, linebackers aren't really the most important position for defense. If you have a solid pass rush, if you have guys who can cover for three or four seconds, then your linebackers kind of just naturally fit in the scheme. But when you look at the Bengals and their situation there, at some point you just have to address the the issue at full force. And I think this is very similar to the Bengals issues at center, right? Because they, they, for many years, they've either had undrafted guys there, or they've had day three picks there, like Russell Bodine, Kyle Cook, you know, you name it. Is um, uh, uh, Eric Geichek, for another example, and then they bring in an, another. They bring in Frank Pollock, who is an offensive line you know, guru at the, at the position coach, and they you know they give him free reins to go out and find a center. And he ends up taking one in the first round. We don't know if Billy Price is going to be worth that pick in the end, but that was the aggression that I think a lot of us wanted to see from that position. And now you look at it from the linebacker spot and you're thinking, okay, our investment strategy at at the linebacker position clearly isn't working. We're not looking at the right trades, but also we're just not bringing in enough talent at the position. And and, and again, I think they have a similar mindset where if they have the, the, the competent front four and they have the competent back five, then their linebackers will just kind of fit in, but they've neglected it so poorly for so long that, that they can't hide that lack of talent there anymore. So at some point they got to just, you know, go away from their traditional philosophy like they did addressing the center position and just kind of attack the position at full force, whether that's sign a guy to a multi-year extension in free agency or draft a guy in the top 50 picks. Because I think at this point you need some type of injection of talent because you can't go into the 2019 season with Nick Vigil being your best linebacker and, and expect to be competent at that position. I, I, just having, one game changer there, one impact player at the position I think will do wonders for them and just have the rest of the guys that they have just as a complimentary talent. And I think they've relied on Burfick being continuing to be that impact player, but obviously, as, as we've seen, he's just not the same player as he is. So at some point, 
they, they just got to deviate away from their traditional investment strategies at the position and just attack in full force. Right. Yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll, we'll close, we'll close this segment with this. Cause I want to get your take on this because I'm undecided. Okay. I look at, I look at what happened this Monday night and I look at those two teams that just, you know, flung the ball all over the field. I think the quarterbacks combined for like 10 or 11 touchdown passes. A um, lot of weapons, a lot of ancillary, you know, outside threats, skill position guys. Um, you know, you need athletic secondary players to cover guys like Travis Kelsey. You know, you get it, okay? This is this is a passing league, and you need, as you mentioned, you need guys who can cover for three or four seconds. You need pass, pass rushers. And I think I saw a tweet even from Daniel Jeremiah uh, with the NFL Network, who was a former scout himself, talked about like the critical positions of, and I think you, I think you kind of analyzed yeah. it if I remember correctly on Twitter, he, no mention of, you know, middle linebackers, interior linebackers of, of being the important foundational pieces of a, of an NFL franchise today. Um, but, you know, and, and I agree with all of that, but AFC North, you've got Nick Chubb rising now with Baker Mayfield being a mobile quarterback who can run. You've got now, who knows when it's going to happen, but it will happen. Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson in that read option offense where he's going to run around and, and need to be tackled. That's coming around the corner. And even though the Steelers throw the ball a lot, they still somehow keep putting together an amazing run, running attack, whether it's Le'Veon Bell, James Conner, whoever, and the Bengals let up routinely let up 100-yard rushers against them. We all know that the Bengals, especially in this five-year, you know, a couple of years ago when they made that those five straight postseason uh, berths, a couple of those were wild card berths. But to get to the playoffs, the Bengals need to routinely do well within the division. That's just how it is. That's where I go. Okay, should they really heavily invest into the linebacker position and, and get these solid tacklers, these C.J. Mosley type of players? Or should they just load up on the secondary guys and try and get the turnovers, try and cover some of these big weapons? I don't know. But something obviously needs to change with this defense because the rankings they have are absolutely deplorable in almost every area. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think they counted on, you know, William Jackson and Drake Patrick at least, you know, being above average cornerbacks. And neither of those two have an interception this year. You know, they've been decent in coverage, but they haven't produced any impact plays. Losing Lawson hurts the pass rush obviously a lot, and they only have Geno and Atkins or Geno and Dunlap to rely on. And to your point, yeah, if the Bengals had an, an offensive scheme and personnel like the Rams and Chiefs, and they don't really have to worry about defense that much, and they can just outscore every divisional opponent that they, that they play. But in the grand scheme of things, where they are right now, they can't put up thirty to forty a game, so they have to rely on their defense a little bit. And with the personnel that they have at at that position. They're going to get gassed in the run game, you know, in every in all six division games that they play, unless they do something about it and make some type of philosophical change. Because until they do, we're going to see the same results. Yeah, uh, you know, I was thinking about the other day when I when I saw C.J. Mosley, who's become a pretty solid player in the NFL. And now, granted, he was the, the Ravens that year in 2014 drafted ahead of the Bengals, but you know, Bengals could have moved up a few spots and get hit. Got him and said they got Darquez Denard, other guys in that draft that they really wanted to make a splash. Anthony Barr was in that draft. Uh, uh, and then 
you know, some others, if you want to call Khalil Mack a linebacker, that, that would have been kind of a pipe dream based on where he was drafted. But I mean, it's, it's just that kind of stuff, you know, I mean, were were they that in love with Darquez Denard or did they really like CJ Mosley and they were just unwilling to move up five, six spots to get a player who would have helped their defense more. I mean, I'm not trying to rag on Darquez Denard, but he's been injured very often. And when he's played, he's been okay. Um, Whereas Mosley has made, uh, I think, a Pro Bowl or two and has been a, a solid player for the, the Ravens and would have, you know, probably been a good player for the Bengals. I, that's where I go. And and linebacker is becoming a position of lesser importance, like you mentioned, John. But in this division, you still need able guys. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think Cincinnati now with all these this stable of first-round corners, whether or not they're living up to expectations or not, I mean, I – I don't know. I, I think they got to reassess that position group. And uh, unfortunately, Preston Brown now on IR, he was a guy who, who what they really liked about him was his durability. And he uh, unfortunately, <laughs> he was a guy that didn't didn't make the, the big splashy plays, right. the interceptions and all that stuff. He had a couple of those yet with the Bengals this year, was a solid, durable guy for the Bills. He comes here, he doesn't even last the season. So uh, you know, it's just this whole ironic thing that we can we can take into a lot of different directions and and talk about really for an entire episode if if we could, but we're not going to. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran, and I hope he gets to play some billiards behind it. Looks like you got a billiard billiard table behind you, dude. I'm, 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 I'm it's, it's actually covered because we have like a like a ping pong table that goes on top of it, but nice. it's not on here. But, nice. Yeah. I'm jealous. I need I need one of those. I need one of those. Uh, he's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. As I said, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, and uh, you can get this show on a number of different platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, CincyJungle.com, and Art19. Get the show where you can. We appreciate the support, and we are thankful that we have a lot of live listeners joining us, even though it's it's a holiday week and. Uh, They've got a lot to do and maybe even a lot to prep for for Thanksgiving. Yet they're joining us live, and we appreciate those who download the show after the fact as well. Speaking of thankful, John, we may need to reach for this one, but let's talk a little bit about uh, what we are thankful for with the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, Not going to be easy. Uh, I, I almost wish, if we're talking about this segment, I almost wish that the Bengals maybe started off one and four and now they rattled off. They, they went four and one and that's now they're five and five. Um, that way we'd be a little more positive maybe at this point, but uh, I'm going to put you on the spot, buddy. I'm going to let you go first and uh, it could be something. Hey, I'll, I'll even allow cynicism here. If you'd like uh, with your, with your grateful, whatever you're grateful for with the Bengals, but seeing as how it's Thanksgiving, I thought that it would be appropriate that we talk about something we're thankful for with this, with the Cincinnati Bengals in 2018. All right. Um, always thankful for the helmets. Never change. <laughs> I'm just okay. glad it hasn't changed in my lifetime. So forever grateful for that. Always thankful. Um, people who know me know me as like more of a I'm, – I'm pivoting more towards player fandom than team fandom and team allegiance. And w- w- when it comes to just how players just kind of act – and compose themselves as you know players and representations of the league i don't care if they're divas i don't care if they're upstanding citizens i think they deserve to be whoever they kind of want to be but i am grateful that the the Bengals of at least my a- adolescence and, and 
in teenage years and now now I'm 22 years old. I, I'm I'm appreciative of that for the most part. They're 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 pretty upstanding guys and they're pretty well composed and they just kind of even though you know we we you know we like to dog on some of them for the most part. I I think that for the most part under Marvin Lewis he's put together a team of pretty solid human beings for the most part. You know guys like Andy Dalton, AJ Green, Geno Atkins, they're, they're Carlos Dunlap. Michael Johnson, they're, they're, they're just guys that are really, really easy to root for, and they don't really make a fool of themselves, you know, you know, when, when some other teams kind of do so. And again, I, I don't hate guys like Oda Beckham or, you know, other guys like that who kind of appear in, in the media too soon because I understand that there's a lot of more context than I, I think a lot of people miss when they look at players and their social media interactions whatnot. But the Bengals, you know, even if they are stuck in their ways and they're, you know, consistently mediocre – they, they, they kind of always bring me back because you know, it, it's easy to like the players on this team just from the way that they are as athletes and how they kind of not only just help out in the community, but just how they carry themselves. And I think they're, they they always have a team that's really easy to root for and kind of guys whose stories that you always enjoy and like to follow. And it's it, honestly, just listening to me, me talk is a little bit cheesy and whatever, but I, I just think that's always something that I'm appreciative and I'm thankful for, even if, we want a better roster every single year. It's just guys that I believe are just really easy to root for and really, you know, players that you can look up to, I guess. That's a good one. I like that one. Um, you know, I'm going, uh, I'm going to say a couple of things here and I, I agree with you, John. Um, I agree that, you know, there are the Carlos Dunlaps, the Geno Atkins guys, the Michael Johnsons who are always nominated for the Walter Payton man of the year. Um, you know, there are a lot of good guys on this roster, which is, you know, cool to see. You saw, I mean, even a guy, Drake Kirkpatrick, he's, he's visiting, uh, senior, senior homes and dancing with, with old ladies and, and doing cool things like that. Uh, you know, that's, that's something you don't, you don't see from, it shows a level of maturity that we did not see from the Bengals in the mid two thousands, late two thousands, even when, uh, the, you know, whatever you want to call call it. The the egos were running rampant and there's some problem children in the locker room. That's not really the case anymore. One thing I'm going to say that I'm pretty thankful for, and it's kind of ironic and I apologize to our guest, Joshua Finney, about it, but I'm grateful that even though we have experienced a lot of heartbreak as Bengals fans over the past 16 years, I'm very grateful that the past 16 years with the Cincinnati Bengals have looked nothing like that of the, of the Cleveland Browns. Um, I, I'm looking at the records from 2003 on not one playoff appearance, five and 11, four and 12, six and 10, four and 12, 10 and six surprising. They didn't make it in, in that year, but four and 12, five and 11, five and 11, four and 12, five and 11, four and 12, seven and nine, three and 13, one and 15, oh and 16. I mean, oh and 16. You didn't win a game. Imagine <laughs> rooting for a team that year. And then they're three, six and one this year, probably heading to a, a losing record, but headed in the right direction. So from that standpoint, I am grateful that the Bengals, uh, even though we've been frustrated with them, even though we've been and are frustrated with Marvin Lewis at this point in time. We have to at least sit here and say this this generation, your your generation of, of, of Bengals fans, John, has experienced a much better brand of football than that 
uh, of a previous generation. Now, when I really started, I mean, I've I've been a fan since the late the late eighties when they made that Super Bowl run, but. I mean, I, I can remember watching games vividly in the late 90s, early to, you know, late 90s, early 2000s were guys like Jeff Blake and Carl Pickens. And I mean, they struggled to win six games a year, much like the Browns did. And uh, this, this team is different. And I think because of that, the expectations are different. Um, and I think that's a good thing. Now, the expectations, since they are different, they've reached now a boiling point where we're looking for changes. And I guess that brings me to the, a little bit of a second part where I'm thankful for there are, and I'm going to throw a little caveat, a little disclaimer to it. There are a lot of changes that still need to be made, folks. There are a lot of changes that still need to be made. We can argue coaches, we can argue organizational practices, all of that stuff. But at least the Cincinnati Bengals have, have changed a little bit in the fact that there have been some major issues with coaching over the past couple of seasons and whether it be in season or this past off season, the Bengals made decisions. Marvin Lewis made decisions to let go of coaches or not retain them. Unfortunately, one of his hires really blew up in his face this, this off season, but he made this, the decision, the needed decision in order to potentially salvage this season to get rid of Terrell Austin um, in the middle of the year. These are things these past two, I think we mentioned it last week, John, these getting rid of Ken Zampezi last year, getting rid of Terrell Austin this year. These, these, these are things that did not happen for a very, very long time with the Cincinnati Bengals in terms of getting rid of incompetent coaches in the middle of a season. Many will argue that Marvin Lewis may fall into that same category at this point. Um, but those are a couple of things that I am thankful for with the Cincinnati Bengals as we head to the Thanksgiving holiday. And despite the one in four recent skid, they are still alive theoretically for the playoffs. It's going to take them winning some games, probably games that we expect them to win, but um, that's, that's another story for another time. Jeff, Jeff Andy says, I'm thankful for being old enough to remember, to remember seeing the Bengals in two Super Bowls." Um, Andrew Seiler says, I'm thankful for Chris Collinsworth partnership with, Camargo Cadillac. And oh yeah. I'm, and I'm thankful that Andy Dalton is still healthy. Um, Man, where's some wood to knock on? My God. There we go. Cincy fan, Cincy fan jungle city. I'm thankful that it, I at least have seen a Super Bowl as a Bengals fan. We didn't win, but damn close to it. True. Um, John Telly with, with the mic drop here, John Telly, I'm thankful for OBI, but Wednesday evenings wouldn't be as enjoyable. There it is. That, that, that was, that was the one correct answer out of all of those. That's so. the, that's the best answer. I can't, I can't, uh, I can't go beyond that one. Um, I don't think we can fight that, right? No, we can't fight facts. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, well, th well, thank you, John, and everybody else for, for tuning in and enjoying the show. We, we have fun doing it, so um, we're, we're just glad that you guys enjoy it and tune in. Um, we hope that you have a, a happy Thanksgiving, whatever you may be doing. Um, you know, friends, family, even even those who, who work, whatever. Just enjoy yourself, be safe, all that good stuff. But uh, there are things, even though there are... Uh, people who think this, the sky is falling on the Cincinnati Bengals. There are things to be thankful for. And there is still a third of the season, right? A third? Yeah, a long third. 
yeah, of the season to be played. It, so they, they've got six games left. They can still win. Uh, they can win a, a number of those and make a playoff push. The AFC beyond the division leaders is pretty weak. So um, maybe they could surprise us and, and, and do a little something special this year still. So that is that. Let's move on to some listener questions, John. And for those who are tuning in, you can text or call us. 949-542-6241, 949-542-6241. You can, you can get a hold of us that way. Otherwise, we've already seen a bunch of questions in the live YouTube chat, so I'm going to start getting to some of those, John, um, before we leave and celebrate the holiday. Let's see. Uh, seeing stuff about Hunter Sharp, the guy that the Bengals uh, – grabbed that's a, that's a fake name i have no idea who that is that's a that's a yeah that is a oh boy here we go um amanda bramble just throwing throwing an early grenade into into everything um basically do you think the Bengals should move on from andy dalton and draft another quarterback in 2019 and do you think uh we should fire all the coaches and start fresh with a new coach. And yeah, let's just go there. Do you think clean house right now, as you sit here right before Thanksgiving clean house with coaches and quarterback or somewhere middle ground, keep it as is and really try and rectify certain position groups. I, 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 where do you stand on this? And I, I think I know where you're going to go, but go for it. Um, eventually the, the great purge has to happen within the next two years. Um, it's still very early in the draft process, but I don't know if you've been keeping up with college football, but quarterback class for 2019 does not look very Sucks. solid. And like, if you, it, it, the bank, if the Bengals wanted a quarterback for the future, they should have taken in the last two drafts and they 2017, they had a great position. They had a great chance to do so. Patrick Mahomes went right after John Ross, but regardless, yeah, yeah like eventually Marvin and, Everyone associated with him long-term has to be purged from the roster, and I think they have a great opportunity to do so after the 2019 season when Tua from Alabama probably declares for the draft. You know, Tank for Tua is probably on the minds of a lot of teams right now. Eventually, yeah, I want to move on from Andy Dalton because I know he's a limited quarterback, and combined with Marvin Lewis, that's a, that's a limited potential for your team quarterback and head coach-wise. I don't – like, just, just from just general forecasting – beyond this year, Andy Dalton probably gives them the best chance out of any other quarterback that they could obtain beyond from him. And I, I know a lot of people want Marvin fired, but the the, the dude signed a two-year extension this offseason. And Marvin Lewis – excuse me, Mike Brown hasn't fired him once his contract expired. There's no way he would fire him with one year left on his contract. So, yeah, I'm in, I'm in favor of the purge eventually when the time is right. And the time probably would have been right last year or the, or the, year, uh, the year before that. This year, just with how the thing, how the way things have played out, they kind of missed their chance, and now they got they got to wait for that next opportunity. Yeah, two two was a lefty, right? I mean, the last yeah. time the Bengals had a lefty quarterback, they he was pretty good for them. So, um, you know, that makes some sense. But here's here's my thing, and I'm I'm with you on the the 2019 quarterback class. I think that. Even if it's a draft a guy to groom behind Andy Dalton for a year or two, I don't think this is the year to, to do no. it. I, I, I don't like any of these guys as, quote-unquote, franchise quarterbacks. Um, 
very, very weak class in, in that regard. And I think that if you're, if you're not going to get the quarterback of the future or, you know, uh, usually a new coach and a new quarterback go hand in hand. Right. That, that, that's just how it usually works. This franchise and, and this era of Marvin Lewis, you know, this Andy Dalton and Marvin Lewis and Mike Brown, they're, you know, they're conservative. They're not overly flashy. Um, and they, they kind of know each. So I'm kind of with you. Hey, let's play this thing out till Marvin's contract, including with Andy. Um, again, try and reset the pieces. We know who Andy Dalton can be when the, when the surrounding talent is there. When, when he had AJ, Tyler Eifert, Marvin Jones, uh, Muhammad Sanu, all these guys, we, we've seen who Andy can be. Uh, and he can be pretty dang good, you know, offensive line, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think maybe at that point you say, okay, give them, give them this year. If, if they don't make the playoff push, give them another year, reload on, on both sides of the ball, see what you can do. And then if, you know, if you're kind of stuck in neutral once again, which I'm, I'm betting they probably will be, then that's when you say, you know what, new coach, new quarterback, let's move on. And, and just to throw like an extra thing in there, the Giants went out and got a new head coach in Pat Shermer but they took a running back instead of a quarterback second overall, and now we see where they are right now. So when you bring in a new head coach, it has to be a new quarterback in there, or else you're going to be stuck in even further purgatory than when you were. Yeah, and and here's the other thing to think about. When the 2019 season is over, and we're potentially looking at new coach, potentially new quarterback, Andy Dalton will be in his early mid thirties. AJ Green will be in that same age range. Carlos Dunlap will be in the, in his mid thirties. Geno Atkins will be in his mid thirties, early mid thirties. Your star players at that point, you could probably say the window that existed with the 2010 draft class on, you know, the 2010, 2011, where you got the bulk of your stars, you can probably say that window is closed. You gave them 10 seasons. And if you cannot win a championship with guys who have made multiple Pro Bowls, set franchise records, all of that, at that point, you could probably say that window is closed. Yeah, we can still let them play out their contracts or whatever, but you got to start building around other people, um, and, including quarterback and, and all of that. I think at that point, you know, like, like I said, you're, you're nine, 10 plus years into the thing with these guys. And at that point, that championship window that was wide open in that 2013 through 2015 era. Or, or group of years has, has probably closed. So that Amanda is what I think uh, the Bengals should probably do um, going forward. I think John to a certain degree, sounds like you kind of agree a little bit, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing a lot of comments back about uh, Josh Finney, which is pretty, pretty funny. Someone had said Baker Mayfield is the Carson Palmer uh, to the Browns back in 2003. Um, I saw another one that was pretty good. That's not a bad analogy, though. Carson Palmer, yeah, first overall pick, Carson Palmer. Yeah, yeah. There was something, I, okay, there was something I saw about the fourth and three this last week, and, and I think this is a hot topic um, based on what you wrote, I've written about it. Many other people have written about it on Cincy Jungle. The fourth and three, the the fourth and three heard around the world, John. Um, Cincinnati needing 
to drive down the field, at least kick a field goal and um, maybe score a touchdown to win. And, you know, believe it or not, with all the struggles and everything, that's what the Bengals did at the beginning of the year, right? They, they were down or they were tied or whatever. Even in that Pittsburgh game, they came back, and you're like, hey, man, these guys, no matter what, they can come back. Um, they kind of started to do it a little bit, even without A.J. Green out there. But inexplicably, fourth and three, the ball goes to Cody Core, the guy who was your sixth wide receiver that you kept when you made the, the final roster cuts. How do you explain that? Now, there, there are people that say, you know, Dalton went through progressions. I haven't really looked totally at the film or whatever, but he went through progressions and Core was the guy that, you know, he was maybe his third look and that's where he went. Um, there are people who say, why is he even on the field at that juncture? I'm kind of like, I guess a little bit in the middle where, yeah, why are you going to him? But more so than that, if you don't trust him, why is he on your team? Yeah, and I don't know why the Bengals would ever at this point trust Cody Court because, as you mentioned, he has more like incompletions thrown his way than completions at, at through three years in his career. There was that whole talk about you know 2017. He was supposed to be like the, you know the, like the new number two in that offense and ended up not catching a single pass that season. The the the, the play it, itself at this point is pretty overanalyzed. It, Core was believe it or not, the best option in terms of just schematics and just matchups on that on against that defense, against that personnel. But the fact that you would put him there, that you would put him in the position to take advantage of that is mind-boggling. And the fact that Auden Tate was in that exact same spot, about to run that exact same route before the Bengals had to call a timeout to get to, in order to not take a delayed game. And then you take Tate out and put Core in, it, even, it, it makes it even more mind-boggling than it already is. But just that whole sequence of, of events and how the Bengals had like the same personnel package, the same formation, the same look for like two or three consecutive plays, and the Ravens managed to counter it perfectly and, and make a play on a route that they pretty much knew was coming with a bad player. It's like the it's like the worst possible late game management that you can possibly conjure up. And I think um, Andy Dolan has to be held accountable for you know allowing that to happen and not changing the play and not adjusting something, knowing that the Ravens knew what was going to happen. And you have to like, hold Bill Lazor accountable for just not being creative enough. They'll have to be able to win these close games against the division rival on the road. And that 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 specific scenario is just it's just so typical at this point with with this team. And I, I think it shows a lot about who Bill Lazor really is as a play caller. So here's and and here's also my thing, right? Marvin Lewis after the game, I, I, I don't know which media member it was, but a media member asked Marvin Lewis after the game, basically, what's going on with Alvin Tate, right? He was, act, <laughs> he was active last week, um, didn't get anything his way. He was, uh, he was active this week. He was out there, I think, one play, made a catch. It was just short of the first down, but he made a catch, contested. You don't trust him, his size, his hands in that situation. He's a rookie. We know how Marv can treat rookies at times. So he's not out there. Core is. You would think that Alden Tate, I mean, he's bigger than Core. He's slower, but he's bigger than Core, and he has shown the propensity to catch a lot of difficult passes and whatnot. So he may have a little bit better chance. But besides the point, okay? Marvin didn't trust Tate. Laser, Laser didn't trust Tate to be out there on that play. Marvin then says, you know, 
Tate's a practice squad guy. We just called him up, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So, so you're saying publicly that you basically don't trust Tate at this point, right? So why then when the trade deadline loomed and you knew AJ Green was hurt, who knows what you really believed about Cody core at that point, you probably primarily were keeping him around for special teams. Josh Malone hurt. Why then did you not go make a move for a veteran guy to potentially help and be a Band-Aid if that's how you feel about Adam Tate? That's what I don't understand. I think it's more indicative of their misplaced faith in a guy like Cody Core. And similar to Core, there's Alex Redman, Hardy Nickerson. I guess Cody Core is just the receiver version of both those two. It's just constantly year after year we see this team try to make things work. You know, they, they stuck their necks out for Redman. You know, Marvin obviously has the connection with Nickerson, and I guess Core is just in that same boat as as if you know, you know, we, we've either publicly acclaimed these players or we've demeaned his competition at the same position group. Where in the case for Redmond is kind of like Westerman, and I guess for Nickerson, I guess is um, Malik Jefferson would be the, the the other part of the analogy. There, it's just them and spe- specifically Lewis, you know, trying to make things work and trying to make them you know more than what they are instead of just recognizing you know a a lapse of judgment or player in player evaluation and just the unwillingness to kind of deviate from that because if Auden Tate is playing for Cody core if you know Christian Westerman is or Trey Hopkins is playing instead of Alex Redman if Malik Jefferson's playing instead of Hardy Nickerson this team at least is probably a little bit noticeably better and it, it, I would for sure trust Tate to make that catch and to make that play over Cody core because he literally just made the same play earlier in the game and it's, it's clear that Auden Tate's getting like the John Ross treatment at this point, and that's something that I guess we can always expect with Marvin Lewis. Yep. Uh, moving on, we'll, we'll do two kind of quick ones and get out of here, John. Um, someone had asked about Bill Lazor's job being in jeopardy. I think it was maybe – was it Nathan, Nathan McGuire or uh, – I forget who it was in the uh, – Cincy fan, Jungle City. Um, Lazor's job being in jeopardy. Um Here's here's my thing with it, uh, courtesy of Jay Morrison of uh, Athletic Cincinnati. He writes he did um, some some updated stats after the game on Sunday. Total offense twenty fifth, rush offense twenty fifth, pass offense twenty first, scoring offense eleven. Um, to me, way too many three and outs. And when you have a struggling defense, it makes them struggle more when you're feast or famine and you're going through this. I, what was it? What was it, John? On the first, the first half, what five of their six possessions? Were six. Yep. Um, can't have that. Even without AJ Green, you can't have that. So is he? Is his job in jeopardy? Again, we're we're looking. Is there was a, the question about Amanda, the coaching staff? You know, or is it? Now it's you get rid of your defensive coordinator. Is it time to get rid of the offensive coordinator and start over once again in 19? I think he should definitely be held accountable when they look back at the season in review because even with like the end of or the games in 2017 where he took over, I think they still finished like pretty, pretty much on the bottom of most statistical categories. So the Bill Lazor era of the Bengals had four good weeks, and that was when both A.G. Green and Tyler Eifer were on the field. Yep. So I think – just similar to Ter- to Terrell Austin, he kind of had this mindset like if we can force a lot of turnovers, you know, we'll, we'll be at least a competent defense. And I think with Bill Lazor said, if we can rely on the presence of AJ Green and Tyler Eifert throughout the season, we can be a competent offense. And as we've seen with both scenarios, if shit hits the fan 
and th 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 they don't have the original plan in, in, in place, both Austin and Laser in this specific case has failed to realize how to adjust on the fly and keep things moving and just basically he's falling flat on his face at this moment. And I don't think any Bengals fan should be confident that this guy is competent enough to handle things when things get bad and that, that they should definitely be on in the market for a more innovative and creative offensive mind going forward. Yeah, that's a great point about, you know, what they were relying on, what guys, what they were relying on Austin and laser at the beginning of the season. I think also laser probably was relying on the fact that Austin's unit would get more turnovers and create field position opportunities for them. Uh, short field, be able to get points, all that kind of stuff. And that just didn't really consistently come to fruition. Um, I'm going to abstain on my opinion on this because I think this, these next six games will say a lot. Unfortunately, they're coming against teams, uh, some of which are not very good. Um, so that may play into his favor a little bit, much like, you know, the, the season saving wins at the end of the year for Marvin last year. But for now, I think there's six important games left. And, uh, you know, if he can make some adjust adjustments to rely more, a little bit more on the running backs, all that kind of stuff, you know, I'll be a little more pleased. But for now, it's been a much like everything with the Bengals over this past month and a half has been a sharp fall off of a cliff. So, um, that, uh, that's where we stand on laser. And then, uh, real quick, I believe it was Andrew Seiler. This was the one I saw earlier and I missed. Uh, Pac-Man Jones recently released need and or want him on Cincinnati's defense. I think even if we didn't need him, I think that's a that's a name and face that they're better off just kind of leaving in the past at this point. Um, like 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 we talked about the great purge from from Lewis, and I think part of that was you know having an exodus of players that he's kind of relied on just as human beings and, and such. And I think the, the more that we deviate from those, from those players, like Vincent Ray is a good example of, of it, of a guy who's gotten a lot of chances under Lewis and just hasn't performed up to the, to the expectation of amount of snaps that he's been given Pac-Man, you know, there's a reason why he got cut from the Broncos. Obviously he just wasn't playing up to par. Um, he's probably doesn't have anything left in the tank at this point. Might as well just see, you know, what they have in Dark Wizard are in the contract year. Obviously, you're still starting Jackson and Kirkpatrick. So, it like, yeah, they could probably use him, I guess, because the depth at cornerback isn't great. But at, at this point, I, I just – I, I kind of want to stick with just not – just just moving on from those familiar faces in the Marvin Lewis era. Yeah, I'm with you. I, don't, I, I mean, he could help a little bit in the secondary potentially, but uh, maybe even as, you know, a return man. But Erickson's actually having a pretty good year returning both punts and kicks. So – I don't think there's a need there again. And who knows that that could be, you know, a catalyst to helping out the defense or if the Bengals keep losing and you bring Adam Jones in and they're losing when with him in the locker room, oh boy, yeah. uh, that, that, that could, that could get real ugly. So I'm with you. I just, just leave, leave well enough alone and uh, move on. Thanks for all the listener questions this week. We try and get to those every week in a variety of different fashions. We appreciate that, and we appreciate all the live listeners. Uh, you can get this show in a number of different ways. Uh, YouTube, Cincy Jungle, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Art19. John, we're going to get out of here. Your prediction on the result of Browns and Bengals this week? 23 <sighs> 20 Bengals. I don't feel too confident in that, but that's like a score that I'm pretty familiar with. I think, I think Mayfield's going to have a, a, a decent day. I think Chubb's obviously going to do well, but um, you know, uh, m might as well predict a win against the Browns and 
Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to price is right, Jim. I'm going to go twenty two twenty. Um, <laughs> I I think it's. By the way, these games are usually ugly. Um, yeah. Whether it, whether it's especially when it gets late in the year and the weather's bad and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's usually either just field goal fests or you know the Bengals should be beating them more, more handily or the Bengals do beat them you know thirty something to three or I, you know these games just are frustrating. Um, so I, I I don't expect you know, a blowout for, for the Bengals, but they have, when they've needed a rebound game and the Browns around the corner, they usually take care of business. And I think they will do that. They desperately, desperately need a win uh, to get things right and feeling better. Uh, like I said, they do have a couple of game, uh, winnable games down the stretch here, and this is one of them. So uh, I think, I think they should take care of business, probably not by the margin we'd like to see, but whatever, get a win and get back in the playoff picture at this point. That's, that's kind of the key. John, happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy your holiday, my friend. Thanks for making the time tonight and uh, enjoy your time with your family. Yes. Yeah, special shout out to Corey Brewer, who I met on the street about um, uh, last week. He was, he was my project partner his sophomore year in the Linder College of Business. And he saw me and said he, he listens to the show when he's doesn't listen live, he listens at work. But um, it, was, it was nice seeing you again, buddy. And, and thanks for listening. And ha- have a great holiday, man. Yeah, cool. Like it. Uh, like I said, I. I'm I'm shocked that people actually care what we have to say. You know, I mean, uh, it's 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 fun to do this thing, and uh, we appreciate all the support. We appreciate the listeners. It's it's flattering, definitely. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the Orange Black Insider. We'll see you next week, and uh, let's hope the Bengals win the first go round of the Battle of Ohio. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. 